Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and may I once again welcome you to this, our podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, which are available at Amazon in ebook and paper book <laughs> and paperback. <laughs> and you could also get a number of them as an audio book at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. So please do take advantage of that. And as I welcome my brother into the podcast today, Kev, are you out there? I'm here. How are you, Bill? Pretty good. But I wanted to bring you in so the two of us together can let our listening audience know that our heart and our prayers our hearts and our prayers are with everybody out there during the midst of this uh, corona uh, outbreak and that we're looking to shed a little distraction on what's going on with a little Bigfoot and other oddities programming for the listeners. Absolutely. You know, what a what a mess we have right now with COVID-19 upon us. You know, with uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners out on the West Coast currently sheltering in place, doing the right thing not to spread this disease. And uh, all of us really around the world trying to do the right thing so that this thing just calms down a little bit in terms of the spread of the virus. So hopefully you can all get a little distracted with a uh, little Bigfoot terror <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do my best to distract everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, folks. I mean, seriously, everything can't be doom and gloom. And, uh, you know, as most of you know, I work in a hospital. Uh, they've stripped the place down, no visitors, uh, everybody's kind of gaining control. So, you know, let cooler heads prevail. But in the meantime, let's dig into a little Bigfoot activity and some other oddities today, shall we, Kev? Absolutely. All right, my brother, what do you got uh, tucked in your sleeve today? So we're going to talk about giants today. I love giants. <laughs> and I don't mean the <laughs> New York kind or the San Francisco kind. <laughs> hey, do you remember the old show? I I, I got to say, I don't think you do, Kev, but there was a show, I think, in the late 60s called Land of the Giants. Do I do remember it? it. I do oh, remember Oh, you do? Okay. It. Yeah. I always thought that was kind of cool with these little people, uh, 
trying to make do with, uh, you know, a hairpin or a piece exactly. of thread. Exactly. Yeah. I also remember, I don't know if you remember the one, uh, one of the Twilight Zones, the original Twilight Zone, where, you know, the guy's walking around the town and then he realizes he's in this like little diorama. And there's this giant, you know, playing with the uh, buildings and stuff. Wow. Now that I don't remember, yeah. but that's uh, that's pretty creepy. It's too, a classic, you know? Twi- you know, creepy Twilight Zone where, you know, he's like, wow, where is everybody? You know, like it's this empty city. And then, uh, you know, towards the end, he realizes that this giant kid like reaches down to grab him. You know, like, whoa. <laughs> wow. You know, Rod Serling wrote uh, most of those Twilight Zone episodes. He Isn't was right. A, he was a brilliant character in his own way. You know, definitely a creepy character. So yeah, we're going to talk about those kind of giants. Okay. Yeah, we're going to start out with an article that was in the New York Times a long time ago. So this was published in the New York Times on February eleventh, nineteen o two. Wow, that yeah. is a long time ago. 118 years ago, right? So, Woo! Yeehaw. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the New York, I wonder how old the New York Times is. Do we know? I don't, I don't know. know. I would guess but 1800s least, sometime. Yeah. yeah, at least that old. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the headline is Giant Skeletons Found. And then uh, subheadline is archaeologists to send expedition to explore graveyards in New Mexico where the bodies were unearthed. Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, this, uh, you know, these giant skeletons have been uh, talked about and known about for a long time. The problem is, it seems that no matter who you speak to, uh, these things have been squirreled away somewhere. They're no longer, quote, available for public uh, uh, perusal. Yeah, it is a little weird. So, um, you know, getting to that, it's, I guess, back then, you know, in the 1800s and early 1900s, the Smithsonian Institution was clearly like a government entity. And I mean, like, not like a museum entity, but, you know, an arm of the government. And uh, in most of these cases I read about, and there sure are a lot of them, including this particular one, um, the skeletons were sent or um, taken back to the Smithsonian Institute, and many of them were never seen again. So it kind of reminds me of the old uh, original Indiana Jones movie, right, where they find uh, what they think is the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, it ends up being on a pallet in a huge warehouse in uh, what looks like the Smithsonian, you know. Yeah, you know, I forgot all about that. I love that movie. Yeah. But you're right. At at some point, they were in that warehouse uh, flying around and fighting it out. Uh, I do recall that. I don't remember the particulars. But, yeah, a lot of people... Uh, over the past uh, two or three decades uh, that I've heard talking about the Giants all claim some type of link to the Smithsonian having had them in their possession. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I saw a lot of that in my little bit of research. So let me read this article to you because it's kind of short and we'll put it up on the website, of course. But it's it's cool. You know, again, 1902. Um, The byline's out of Los Angeles, California, 
And it says, owing to the discovery of the remains of a race of giants in Guadalupe, New Mexico, antiquarians and archaeologists are preparing an expedition further to explore that region. This determination is based on the excitement that exists among the people of a scope of country near Mesa Rico, about 200 miles southeast of Las Vegas, Nevada, where an old burial ground has been discovered that has yielded skeletons of enormous size. Mm. Yeah, and then they go on and say, and uh, Luciana Quintana, on whose ranch the ancient burial plot is located, discovered two stones that bore curious inscriptions, and beneath these were found in shallow excavations the bones of a frame that could not have been less than 12 feet tall. Incredible. Right. And they say the men who opened the grave say the forearm was four feet long and that in a well-preserved jaw and lower teeth, uh, they ranged in size from a hickory nut to that of the largest walnut in size. Well, that's quite a chopper. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then they say the chest um, of, of the being is reported as having a circumference of seven feet. Wow. Boy, that's uh, talk about a barrel chest. Exactly. I mean, seven feet around. Holy cow. That, that, that is like a, enormous. Yeah. And you know what? I'm not buying into the fact that people's... Anybody would say these things were lost or miscategorized or they don't know where they are. Uh, anybody who's even been in any kind of museum uh, in the back rooms, everything is itemized and neatly stored and logged. And you don't just lose a 12-foot pair of skeletons. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's just impossible. Yeah, and then the article uh, goes on to say, Quintana, who has uncovered many other burial places, expresses the opinion that perhaps thousands of skeletons of a race of giants long extinct will be found. This supposition is based on the traditions handed down from the early Spanish invasion that have detailed knowledge of the existence of a race of giants that inhabited the plains of what now is eastern New Mexico. Hmm. And it says Indian legends and carvings also in the same section indicate the existence of such a race. Hmm. So super cool, right? Yeah, nothing from the uh, Spaniards early on uh, were these. Uh, obviously, if from what you said, they must have had contact with them. Um, or, yeah, early on, way, way early on. So this goes back a really long time, these skeletons, yeah. which we'll get into. Yeah, I just wonder what happened to all them that we're not seeing any of them. I know, uh, I know. Yeah. And, uh, I, definitely after touching on this, I got to do some more work to figure out what exactly is uh, going on. How come, like, you know, we've heard of these giants before, certainly. I've read of them. But how come you never see anything like this? Like we see, you know, mummies from Egypt in the museums, right? Like if you go into the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art or the Museum of History, you'll see, uh, you know, various mummies from Egypt uh, and the like. And But you never see a giant. At least I've never seen one. Yeah, well, again, if you see 
the the question uh, uh, begs an answer. Why were these skeletons possibly made public in some small way, and then somebody or some people made a decision that people don't need to know about these anymore? Yep. Because really, if you're going to uncover giant skeletons, as you say, why not put them in the Museum of Natural History? We've got dinosaurs in there. We've got mummies. We've got uh, Egyptian. We've got uh, uh, Mayan. We've got all of this stuff. And yet we have these giant skeletons and nobody's gone to the trouble to reassemble them and stand them up in a lighted, protected environment where all can see them. Yep. And it's interesting. So um, there's a map online, which again, I'll post, which is a map of the giant reports in North America created by someone called C. Hall. And, um, a, you know, that she, she, I think it is a she, identified that Smithsonian, Smithsonian scientists identified at least 17 skeletons. This was in uh, uh, one, one period of time here that stood at over seven feet in their annual reports, including one example that was eight feet tall and a skull with a 36-inch circumference. Yeah. And that was, these were all in Anna, Illinois, and this was reported in the Smithsonian's annual report of 1873. Right. And you know something, not to switch horses, but you're talking a skeleton seven, eight feet tall now with a 36-inch circumference skull. You could be talking Bigfoot material in that instance. You definitely could. You know, in some of those instances, you could uh, could be talking some kind of Bigfoot. Yeah. And, of course, we don't see anything. We don't know anything. We don't know any other details, teeth, teeth recovered, jaws, hands, fingers, toes. We don't know anything. No, no, no doubt about it. So, I mean, well, you know, what's your take on these, Bill? I mean, we'll talk about a couple more, but... What's your take? You think could be Bigfoot, could be, I mean, back in this era, right? Like if it was before, you know, before the late 1800s, right? At a minimum, when these things walked around, and it could have been a thousand years before that as well. Um, You know, some different race or whatever, because they'd be really tall by by that time standard. Right. Because people are a lot taller today than they were in 1900. As anyone knows, when you go into one of these old houses and if you're six foot two like me, you're kind of hunched over, you know, like the ceilings, not high enough in a house built in the 1880s for somebody who's six foot two to be comfortable walking around in. Right. And a lot of smaller, a lot of the chairs, a lot of antique furniture going back almost seems like it was made for children or small people. You know, they wouldn't be comfortable. Uh, but, you know, we were talking uh, last podcast or the one before, I think one of the listeners wrote in about giants, and here we are talking about it. Yep. Uh, I'll just take you back to the biblical narrative, uh, that being of uh, Goliath confronting the Israelites. And, of course, we all know what happened. David slung a smooth stone at him and uh, beamed him right in the middle of the forehead, killing him. <laughs> uh, but he had brothers. And if we go back pre-Goliath, 
we know in the biblical narrative that the sons of God came to earth and mated with the sons of man, uh, the daughters of man. So there was a time when some type of giants uh, came and were grabbing up some of the women of the earth back then and having offspring with them. Hmm. Uh, We know when Joshua came to scope out the land in the biblical narrative that they came back with a report. The men came back with a report that there were giants in the land. They saw giants when they snuck up like on a spy mission. They saw giants. But we have a real disconnect as to what happened with all of these giants going forward, uh, even to the point where we're talking now about these skeletons in New Mexico and wherever else they're being found or have been found. We know very little about them coming forward historically. But they definitely were here. Uh, They certainly are not here now, Uh, I know I was just seeing a piece on the tallest man in the world, supposedly. Uh, he's a guy in Turkey. Uh, I think they said he was eight foot two inches low, uh, tall. Uh, but, you know, some of these people, too, that are very tall today don't look like they're in the greatest of health. It's almost like a problem. You know oh, what I, I mean? I think it's definitely a problem to get your heart to pump that blood, you know, throughout throughout your body when you're that big. Yeah. Yeah. So, but of course, in the time of uh, uh, Goliath, uh, he was a warrior. So he was fighting with this uh, Philistine army and uh, evidently had no problem uh, mouthing off until David shut his mouth with a rock to the head. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad, Goliath. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a very bizarre thing, man. There are many things out there, uh, the likes of which we do not have answers to, and Bigfoot is one of them. Yep. Uh, So, you know, it's it's not just, you know, a one-and-done scenario. There are a lot of things that uh, strain our imaginations and our thought processes as we try to gain a foothold on what it is that's being talked about, what it is that's been found, and what it is that's being seen, uh, depending which which direction you go. But these skeletons, I've been hearing about these skeletons for a long time. And it's not just these two in New Mexico discovered by this woman on a ranch. Uh, there are skeletons that have been found, photographs that have been taken, news articles written, uh, all over the place. Oh, so, no, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about yeah, it. I mean, here's here's another example. This one is gets to kind of the warrior, kind of like you were talking about uh, with Goliath and those stories. So this one is from 1833, so even older. And it it talks about the fact that there were soldiers back then digging a pit to put a, a gunpowder magazine in at a place called Lompoc Rancho, California. And they hacked their way through a layer of cemented gravel and found a 12-foot sarcophagus, so a giant sarcophagus. And when they opened up the sarcophagus, there was a giant man, a skeleton of a giant man inside that was about 12 feet tall. 
And the grave was surrounded by carved skulls, you know, stone axes, ancient stone axes, spears, you know, all kinds of like uh, gems and uh, symbols, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the uh, the, the uh, carvings were covered in unintelligible symbols, so some kind of language. But here's where it gets really freaky, okay? When they looked closer at the skeleton of the giant man, 12 feet tall, he had a double row of teeth on both his upper and lower jaw. Right. Yeah, I've heard I've heard of this. I've heard of the double row of teeth in the giants. Right, right. And then, so this is where it gets freaky deaky, right? So the soldiers consulted a local tribe of Native Americans who, after going into a trance, exclaimed that they were geographically displaced Alagihu or Alagiwi Indians from the Ohio Valley. So this is in California. In 1833, these they go into a trance and say they're from the Ohio Valley. And when the natives began to attach some religious significance to the find, authorities ordered the skeleton and all the artifacts secretly reburied. And no further information is, has ever been available, so it's been impossible to verify this information. But numerous other skeletons of that height had been reported in that area by newspapers such as the New York Times. Amazing. Now, uh, hear me out for a minute. If Whether or not there was a race or not still available is really of no concern to me. Let's just say they were dwindling. Uh, maybe their genetics were being done away with or failing uh, as time went on. And that could have been a deliberate act by the Almighty. Mm-hmm. But if you had a giant, if you were a tribe of Indians or people, uh, it's not untypical for the uh, the people to vote into like uh, uh, maybe we create you to be the king because you're the biggest and most formidable of the clan. Absolutely, yeah. So in California, you come across this tomb that was. Uh, Cemented gravel, a layer of cemented gravel over the sarcophagus, like they were trying to seal it a little bit or create a barrier before you got to it. So I don't think your average person was put in a sarcophagus. No, no. Uh, Most people were just buried, right? I mean, uh, in Egypt, we have uh, the pharaohs and the highest ranking officials uh, and their families were typically put in some type of sarcophagus, not like King Tut's. Right. But they were given a little better than the average burial that most people got. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, getting to your point about these races, too, there's another set of accounts all about the uh, Catalina, Catalina Island off the southern coast of California, where they found uh, a skeleton that was nine feet, two inches tall. And a bunch of others that were seven or eight feet tall. So yeah. it's kind of it, Catalina and the rest of the Channel Islands. Apparently, they've turned up over the years numerous, you know, very large skeletons. Um, so it's almost like there there was uh, another group of folks living on these islands that were way taller than anybody else at that time. Yeah, I saw some photographs of that Catalina Island dig. 
And again, you wonder why these things aren't more public. You would think this would be a huge item of interest. I think there was a man standing in one of the holes with a shovel. Yeah. And he was using it as a kind of like a measuring stick or so you could get an idea of what he was standing next to. This guy looked like a freaking dwarf with the shovel next to what was laying in the dirt uh, beside him. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you mentioned the photographs because although there's not a lot of talk about these giants, you know, anymore that I hear of, uh, there are a lot of photographs from back then when they would find these things. You know, they're all black and white, but yeah, there are a, a lot of photographs. Yeah, and so it's, it's just amazing. I saw another photo of uh, some guys, I want to say in Pennsylvania, uh, digging on a roadside, an existing road. I forgot what they were doing, widening it or doing something. And I believe the picture, it's been a long time, I believe the picture showed where the sh guys shoveling, the guys doing the excavating, had uncovered something. And they took a couple of shots of it, like exposed, hanging out of the berm on the side of the road. Uh, and you could definitely see these were massive. It was a massive human skeleton. Right, right. And uh, so, they, I mean, yeah, so there you go. This uh, this evidence seems to be suppressed. You would think this would be something of uh, enormous uh, significance historically to talk about and to learn about, but it's kind of snuffed, you know? No, and there's a lot of other accounts. I mean, a lot of other accounts from these, you know, they appear to be like ancient um, burial mounds, especially around the Midwestern United States, where yeah. they found these giant skeletons, almost in like uh, tomb-like burial mounds. You know, yeah, they, and, and they have diagrams of them, and, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and interesting that you mentioned these uh, guys from the Catalina Islands, uh, was it there where these uh, native Indians were going into like a trance saying they were? No, that was uh, California, not the island. So, but. Uh, OK. Yeah. So they were saying that they were transplanted, so to speak, from exactly. Ohio. Exactly. And Ohio is an area also, I believe, where a lot of these mounds exist. It is. It is. Absolutely. So there's, it's a strange kind of funky relationship there. Uh, Very going. funky for that age, right? 1833 yeah. was when that's reported to have happened. So very tough to tie those places together, yeah. you know, in that time frame. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking 185 years ago. Exactly. So uh, very, very odd. Wow, that is incredible stuff. Super cool. Yeah. Wow. So are you closing the door on that chapter We're for today? We're closing the door on the Giants for today. Wow, that's just incredible. I think we uh, the, this subject matter deserves uh, further investigation as we go along into other things that have been located. So perhaps we could look into that. No doubt about it. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, just a little heads up, I had a piece of listener mail come in, which I discussed with my brother. And uh, this uh, listener was saying, hey, guys, you know, why don't you do a series of shows uh, about um, other oddities and strange things? And I said to her, if you tune into us long enough, we're going to do our best to exhaust every every possible <laughs> thing. Right 
uh, that is out there uh, to have a discussion about. So just stay tuned. Uh, and we're going to be hitting a, just about everything under the sun uh, as we move along. But today I have a really interesting uh, account. And it actually came from down in Texas, uh, and it was told to me by a fellow named Jack Turner, who was a former oil rigger uh, from Texas, now living in New Mexico. And this is what Jack had to say about his encounter. Uh, He said, obviously, Bill, you and I are talking on the phone, so we can't see each other face to face. But if you were able to see me in 1971 and now, you wouldn't know it was the same person. In 1971, I was a full-blown Texas hippie. Yes, it's true. The Southland had its hippies too, and I was one of them. My cronies and I used to spend a fair amount of time getting stoned out and wandering around in the big thicket as it is known in Texas. At one point in time, this area was sprawling over 3.25 million acres of southern Texas. Today, a society known as the Big Thicket National Preserve has done a gangbusters job of protecting and preserving 15 remnants of what was once. Now, when I was there, We all knew what a booger was, and there was no doubt in our minds as to whether or not they existed. We knew they did, and that it was only a matter of time if you were a hunter or a woodsman before you would have proof enough for yourself. I mean, just picture it in your mind. These critters were living here when there was 3 million plus acres of raw, untainted habitat. And after hundreds of years of building, farming, logging, and oil exploration, their home turf had shrunk to a little over 100,000 acres in 15 locations. And let me tell you something that you can bet on. If you spend some time down there with the good old boys, you will see one for yourself, I guarantee. In 1971, I and a couple of the boys went into the Neches Bottom and Jack Gore Begal unit, as it is called, for a day of getting stoned and flipping frisbees around in the woods. We drove in on a timber slough road and started hiking up towards Sandlot Lake, following a stream that runs through that neck of the woods. We had been trucking around on foot for about five hours, getting to and coming back from Sandlot. When we were getting near to Ard Lake on the return leg of our day's festivities, We were walking through an area that had a number of what we call Begals. Now, a Begal is nothing more than a depression in the Earth's surface, which has a really dense layer of clay underneath it. It doesn't allow the water to drain. They always form under the densest areas of the thicket, 
where the sun can't get at them. They are also known as acid bogs. Because of the acidity and all the rotting plants in the water, they turn kind of root beer colored, and some of them stink like your old underwear. A little humid, eh? Believe it or not, there are quite a few critters that make these bagals their home, especially the ones located by streams or lakes. One of the nastiest critters is the water moccasin. If one of them nasty little suckers takes a hold of you, it's kiss your butt goodbye for sure. So, we were nearing Ard Lake, coming up on an area of Begal, when we heard what sounded like a man running in the water. We would hear it, and it would stop. We would hear it again, and it would stop. Over and over, we stood there listening to this sound. So, we decided, as was our nature, to sneak up on whoever this was and maybe give them a scare. Well, there were six of us stalking through the trees like jungle fighters, heading towards the sound, doing our best to remain out of sight and quiet. As we got close to this Begal, we were now looking out over a swamp. When all of a sudden, from out of behind this big-ass cypress, comes this huge booger stomping across the water. We all looked at each other like, oh my God in heaven. And then we looked back at the booger. I don't think that it was but a minute or so later when this booger slammed its foot down into the water, reaching down and pulled up a water moccasin. To me, it actually looked like the bastard bit him and he just grabbed it and started chomping on it. Well, let me tell you, I could not believe what my eyes were seeing. A big badass booger having a snake for dinner. We were not exactly invisible by any means. All of us were wearing brightly colored clothes and were barely in hiding. All he had to do was turn and we would be seen. He was standing there eating when one of the boys who was squatting behind a bush moved to stand up and made a crunching sound. Well, this booger snapped his torso in our direction and let out the meanest, nastiest growl your ears have ever heard. He then turned and ran out of the Begal and into the woods so fast that we almost couldn't keep our eyes on him. Now, I know, having spoken to you before we did the interview, that you want to know everything and anything I can remember about the booger. So here goes nothing. When we saw him in the water, I would say that it was only maybe a foot or so deep, and the critter was at least eight feet above the water. This was a very dark and shady area, which is why the Begal is there. And all I could say is that he was dark in color, similar to the way a black bear looks. <coughs> Excuse me. What struck me most was that I am certain this snake bit him at least once, if not twice. And he seemed to be unaffected by the bites. I often wondered how they could walk around 
in rattlesnake country and the like, through fields and grasses, and survived with no protection. Is it possible they are immune? I don't know. I only know what mine own eyes saw. When he ran away, each leap or step must have been covering ten feet or more, because he was gone so fast that I couldn't believe my eyes. He was moving through the trees like a giant-sized halfback running downfield with the ball. A couple of the boys I was with had seen one before, and one of them had seen several, but he actually looks for them. This was my first and only sighting. The dimensions, as as you already know, are beyond our imagination. The sheer thickness of its upper body, arms and legs, is incredible. And I would guess its weight at being easily a thousand pounds or better. And there you have it. Well, that's a giant thousand pounds. Yeah, and you know, you know, I've always said in the past, Kev, you know, we get all of these weights thrown around, 2,000, you know, big as a car. But to me, a thousand pounds is realistic for a big monster, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, if it, that big and always uh, talking about how muscular they are, too. Yeah, just a big, thick, dense bugger. Another tale of boogers. And, Bill, you don't know uh, water moccasins, right? You don't have them by you? No, I don't, you know, but uh, I would imagine they're pretty uh, nasty. Oh, we got them here in the river. Oh, they are nasty. You see Uh one, I mean, they look like they're prehistoric. You know, they're always this, like, dark, blackish gray, kind of the scaly part, you know, the scaly uh, skin, reptilian skin is like bigger scales and that big diamond-shaped head. I mean, they look like they'd punch you in the mouth and then bite you. Yeah. Yeah, and I hate them. They are highly poisonous, no? Oh, and super aggressive, too. They'll come after you. Well, that's crazy. You know, and they love the water, so and they swim really well. So, like, if you're in the water, they know they can swim better than you can, and they will swim toward you. Oh, that is creepy. Yeah, they're awful. Wow. I can't stand them. So this guy, uh, he's saying uh, he was down there in a section... Of the big thicket. Yeah, again, the big thicket, right? Yeah, kind of wandering around there, stoner hippies walking around in the woods, you know, killing the afternoon or whatever time of day it was. And uh, they run across this thing hanging out in this Bay Gall. They thought it was somebody running around in the water. Yeah, I, I never heard of these Bay Galls. I thought it was a bagel when you first said it. <laughs> I just had a bagel before, toasted and buttered. Man, I love that stuff. No water moccasin on it. No water moccasin on the side. (laughs) But apparently from what he says, these bagels are like these depressions that uh, uh, harbor some water in a shaded area so they can't evaporate. Yeah, we have them down here off of the river, and they probably are called that, but I just didn't know that. I got to look it up. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing. He spelled it. Uh, B-A-Y-G-A-L-L, Bay Gall. Okay. Uh, also interesting, too, his confidence, both uh, 
in the beginning and during uh, the account that if you spent enough time down there, you would see one for yourself. Yeah. So he, he at three points, first of all, he says, we all knew what a booger was. Number two, he says, if you spend enough time, you'll see one. Yeah. Number three, they all encountered one as a group. And number four, he said this was the first and only for himself, but another guy in his group had seen a couple, but he looks for them. Mm. So it's a very weird symbionic type of uh, uh, speech he puts forth about the commonality, the knowledge, and almost like guaranteeing you that you could see one for yourself if you spend enough time looking. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and he also mentioned one of my favorite trees, the big ass cypress. <laughs> <laughs> That's B A C. Yeah, yeah. B A C. Yeah, in Latin. that's pretty cool. B A C. How do you how do you put that into Latin? <laughs> that's cool. That's a great account. And again, the big thicket. Back in the big thicket. In the se- early 70s. He's talking 1971. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know what that area is like today, but according to him, there's a society that protects it. and uh, Or probably governmentally now. You well, know, like we always hear, right? we, we get a lot of uh, listeners that write in and talk about, you know, recently they've asked us, what do we think of uh, what do we think's going on in the big thicket? You know, because the law enforcement folks are trying to keep people out of it at times. Yeah. And again, I think last time somebody wrote in about that, I mentioned they're probably just trying to save your butt because you're you're all going to shoot one another. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people. Uh, that go in there with destructive intent, you know what I mean? Well, and even if it's not destructive, if everybody's, you know, uh, uh, loaded for bear, so to speak, and, you know, walking around looking for something to move, you know, that's not a good situation. Yeah, and in Texas, they have a rather loose uh, gun uh, control, right? You mean nice gun control. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's very nice, Cisco. We're getting we're getting that way a little bit here with, uh, you know, we opened up talking about the COVID nineteen, and I was um, going out shopping one day at lunchtime here to get some more food, and I was in a different shopping center than I'm normally in, and there was a line with like a hundred people outside of one of the stores, and I, I wasn't familiar with that shopping center, and it turned out that was the gun store. Yeah, everybody's well. everybody's arming up. <laughs> in case somebody comes it. to take their toilet paper. <laughs> I'm all for it, Kev. I always have oh, like six or eight cases of shells around. Well, I went in and I said, I got to buy some more shells. <laughs> I didn't think I needed some, but when I saw that line, I said, I need some more. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody <laughs> if somebody comes over here, it's going to look like an old episode of Combat with Vic Morrow. <laughs> I'm going to put my camo helmet on and kick a window out and start shooting. Yeah, that's down here in North Carolina. <laughs> if COVID-19 doesn't get us, we'll be ready for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure oh, it's the same man. down in the big thicket. 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. Good, uh, you know. Good stuff. Well, great account. Yeah. No, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. So. What do we have uh, from our listeners today? Yeah, we got some good listener mail. Uh, So the first one comes in from north of the border here from Leonard in Ontario, Canada. Leonard. Leonard. Leonard writes, uh, fantastic show and stay well. Uh, There are quite a few sightings being spoken about in these parts. And you are correct that there seems to be a lapse between the states and Canada. The U.S. is at the forefront of reporting for sure, and I don't know why. I have seen nothing myself, but really enjoy your reports. Thanks. Lenny. And where was he from again, Kim? Ontario, Canada. So kind of uh, north of, uh, like, Buffalo and that, I guess. Well, that's Toronto, yeah. so east that's of Toronto. Between, uh Between Toronto and uh, Montreal. Okay. Yeah, plenty of woods up there. Oh, yeah. It's pretty rural. And, you know, like his question of, you know, he doesn't see it being reported as much. It's what I've been saying all along. Like, I'm I'm up in uh, Ottawa, in uh, Ontario, a fair bit for business. And there's just not as many people. I mean, I just think, you know, there's not as many people in Canada by any means to see a lot of these things. So... There could be a lot more Bigfoot out there, and you wouldn't even know it. Right. And you you remember that uh, little map we showed detailed a while ago? Oh, yeah. Uh, There were a few lights lit up in the lower portions of Canada, but really not that many as compared to the clusters in the States. Agree. And I really don't know how that was put together or who accounted for what became these little lighted dots that were supposedly sightings, but... There sure is a lot of them lit up uh, in the United States uh, as opposed to Canada. But uh, I wonder, uh, you know, I wonder this. I I don't know of any Canadian Bigfoot organizations. And if anybody's out there who does, please turn me on to them because I'd like to uh, look into that. You know, yeah, I bet there's a group out in British Columbia, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, British Columbia almost to me almost seems like a separate section of Canada. It's it's almost like its own state, you know. Yeah, it's it's beautiful, beautiful part. Yeah, great. Well, wow, that's fantastic, man. Cool. Yeah, and he's he's right. There is a there is a disconnect. Uh, either that, or like you said, Kev, there's very few people to report. And uh, if you have even fewer people to report, and we have a lot of people here to report, and the amount that do is negligible at best. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the odds, the numbers don't uh, work uh, in all. I mean, just a lot more people, and in that province, right? You know, you mentioned like another state. Of course, it's a province uh, of Canada. Um, British Columbia is just so rural and so beautiful. Yeah. You know, with the tall evergreens and beautiful lakes up there. Yeah. A lot of wildlife. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. You know. Wow, that's great. Cool. Well, thanks for writing in. Yeah, all right, Lenny. We're going to go from Ontario, Canada to Dimitri in Greece. Talk about <laughs> a contrast. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. What a difference. What a difference. Don't tell me Dimitri uh, saw Bigfoot at the Coliseum. <laughs> you know, at the uh, uh, Parthenon or whatever. Oh, the Parthenon. I, I always the Pantheon, Pantheon and Parthenon. I think it's Parthenon in Greece. 
Pantheon in, in Italy. In Italy. Yeah. So Dimitri says, I'm enjoying your podcast thoroughly since discovering it some weeks ago. No Bigfoot to report in Greece. Well, that's good, because that might be the end of the world. That's my commentary on that. But he says, there is a lot of old lore about many things in Greece that may fit the bill for your other oddities down the road. Mm -hmm. I have listened to two of your audiobooks, and they are spectacular. You read just as you do on the podcast, and it's great. Awesome. Good stuff, yeah, I, Dimitri. Yeah. I really appreciate that, Dimitri. And uh, as he says, folks, when you listen to the audio recordings, I'm just trying to do them just l like I do on this on this podcast. I kind of give it to you straight up and kind of even keeled and let you uh, listen and then uh, make your own determinations. But uh, Dimitri, you know, he said he hadn't seen a Bigfoot in uh, Greece, but uh, he didn't say his sister wears a size 12 shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I, and it's true, like the other oddities. I mean, some of those legends and stuff that come out of ancient Greece, you know, that'd be pretty cool to look into some of that stuff. I've, yeah, never, I've never been over there to Greece either. That might uh, warrant a trip to go look for other oddity legends. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff over there. The minotaurs. Exactly. You know, all of the... Uh, Tales of Zeus and, uh, you know, all of these strange uh, things that they have around there. It kind of uh, might be worth it here or there to uh, take a few of them apart and just... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, talk about them, you know. I like it. Yeah, very interesting, Dimitri, and thanks for uh, your suggestion and uh, chiming in with us. Yeah. All right, and now we go to Pearl in Arkansas. And Pearl says she's 87 years old. Well, congratulations, Pearl. That is awesome. And my granddad shot at, in the early 1900s, what is called today a dog man. Whoa. Ooh. He was always warning us and fearful of what he knew was in the woods. At the time, we were outside all the time with nothing but fields and woods to play in, but never saw anything. Mm -hmm. I know Granddad was stern and honest man, so I am sure he shot at what he said he did. Take care of yourselves, Pearl. Wow. Yeah. That is freaking... How old did she say she was? 87. 87. Yeah, and so Granddad that means... shooting at a dog man. Wow, and I mean, so grand, grand, oh, granddad, granddad, or great granddad, granddad, granddad. Holy smoke! So she's eighty-seven. Her father, or his father. Yeah. I mean, uh, and she's claiming that uh, you know, and it's funny. She's from uh, where? Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. So you know, Kev, uh, my wife's nephew's wife. She came from Arkansas. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. And uh, she told me that uh, she's about probably 10, 15 years my junior. And she told me that even living in the area of Arkansas she lived in growing up in, uh, I mean, they were like little kids running around in bare feet, jumping in the hayloft, you know? Oh, yeah. So uh, they were, uh, at least she was, in a very rural environment, you know, where the father was shooting crows and 
she she had learned how to shoot a gun early on, and they were always running around and jumping in the ponds and all this stuff. So, you know, it's a different life, you know, a different way of life. Yeah, super cool. A granddad pops this thing he called, she thinks was a dog man looking yeah. back on it. So I can imagine what the conversation was uh, around the table when Granddad <laughs> was talking about what he saw. I think it involved don't going in the don't go in the woods. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, by the way, I apologize. Did you hear that phone ring, Kev? I did. Yeah, and I don't know. I had the line uh, disconnected uh, at my workstation here, ah. and all of a sudden it rang. I. <laughs> Could have been a giant skeleton calling you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But my apologies, folks. I try to uh, gear up properly when my brother and I get on the line, and I, I don't know what just happened there. So. Yeah, well, we do the best we can. And, uh, of course, like around here in the recordings with this COVID-19 going on, it's a little harder to keep the uh, homestead quiet because everybody's here, you know. Yeah, yep, no doubt about it. So speaking of mystery phones ringing with no one calling, let's go to Bruno in Russia. Bruno? (laughs) Sorry, Bruno. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love the name Bruno. (laughs) (laughs) Bruno writes, there have been a number of sightings from these parts being posted on YouTube. Have you seen any of them? And what do you think? Enjoying the podcast immensely. Bruno. Wow. Well, you know, Kev, uh, he's correct. Uh, I've seen a couple of real strange stuff. Did you catch that video about it looked like a couple of people shooting it out of the interior of a car and that weird creature jumping up and down in the. I did. I did. And we did an episode, too, on the one with the three little boys. Following the big uh, Yeti footprints in Russia, yeah. oh, that was remember that cool. one, and then seeing yeah. it in the woods with the video—that yeah. was yeah, like, that, whoa! Yeah, that is really bizarre. So there does seem to be some ramped-up uh, activity over there. And what have you been saying for a while now? With the advent of all these cameras, uh, it seems that some people are getting some footage. Absolutely. You know, uh, that we wouldn't have, those two things would have been just a story before and kind of uh, uh, in suit with what we've been saying all along as well. People see this footage and say, oh, come on. Am I right? That's right. It's a fake. It's a fraud. It's a fake. It's a fraud. Everything's a fake and a fraud. We're, We're clamoring for footage. We get footage and everything is a fraud. I know. Or maybe a bear. Or a bear. A dancing bear. <laughs> a dancing now, Russian bear. Yeah, I think some of this stuff is really uh, uh, cool. Uh, and I do think there's a certain amount of legitimacy to uh, a fair amount of I mean, we've only had a handful. That that Marble Mountain one was spectacular. Oh, man. Uh, that one's one of my favorite videos, if not the favorite video. Yeah. And then, of course, we backed it up. With that uh, uh, podcast we did a week or two ago where the couple said the guy, the Bigfoot, looked like a nervous man waiting for a bus. Exactly, which Remember is exactly that? what that other footage looked like. Right, flinging the arms around like, you know, Pacing ah, what are you back doing? and forth, kind of yeah. like it's talking to itself. Yeah, exactly, like a frustrated 
character of some kind, you know? Exactly. Yep, yep, that's it. Uh, that is amazing. Cool. Well, that's it for the mail this week, Bill. I did want to give a shout-out to our friend Andy, uh, who's cooking up some authentic Cajun cuisine with Bigfoot <laughs> gumbo down in the bayou. And uh, Andy and I have been chatting a bit, and you too, Bill, and uh, Andy's got his podcast going. He's put together some pretty cool stuff. It's a good mix of uh, the hairy man, uh, some cryptids, and everything from current events to uh, favorite beer. So uh, if you, <laughs> you know, in this COVID-19 world where you're sheltering in place and being safe, you know, take a listen to uh, Andy and the Bigfoot Gumbo. And then, of course, for us, uh, we appreciate all of you listening. Please, uh, if you can do it right now while you're listening, give us five stars on your favorite podcast player because it brings more people to the podcast and uh, enables us to keep improving the quality of the podcast as well over time. Right. And people, again, I opened the podcast with uh, the fact that all ho- Our hearts and prayers are going out to each and every one of you and your families uh, that all will be well and all will end well. And speaking of ending well, if you decide to take a walk in the woods, remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.